Why are we even doing this series? I told you last time that this subject is probably one of the biggest objections that non-Christians have to the God of the Bible. So that's why we're taking on the subject in part. But there's another part. It's also the subject that trips up the most Christians. You know, if I was to say it in plain English, I would say this. Sure, we could take on the philosophical reasons why there's suffering and evil. And I think that's kind of important. We could take it on intellectually. I think that's kind of important too, because there are people out there who are going to ask you and who want to know. And there are too many bumper sticker slogan answers in the church that do horrible damage when we try to use those explanations. We looked at a few of them last week. But there's a more important reason, more important than just intellectual ideas. It's because everybody in this room is going to suffer at some point. I know that because that's what Jesus told us, that we should expect that in this life. Right now, maybe most of us, and I say most because I don't know where all of you are, but maybe most of us are fortunate enough right now where we don't have that. We're not in that place right now. By God's providence, maybe we're in a place where we're okay. But we live in a world where nothing really needs to be okay or should be okay because we live in a fallen world. And when suffering befalls us, we tend to turn to God and start questioning his very existence at those points. I'm hoping that we can kind of question those things in advance. Maybe question those things in retrospect on things that have happened. So it's not just here so we can answer some philosophical objection or some intellectual pursuit in a coffee shop, although that's part of it, because you do owe people around you an answer, a hope for the reason you believe. But it's because it matters so much to us when we're going to go through it. And you know that when somebody walks up to you and says exactly the wrong thing, which we're so prone to do in the church, that's not going to help. Hopefully we can avoid being those people. And of course, the third reason is we're going to really understand more about God's nature. This morning at the church I was attending, they read this doxology from Romans. And it was so interesting because last week I was going to try to end with it, but we just ran out of time. And I thought, well, how fitting it is. I'd like this to be our opening prayer today. Because while we're taking on such a big subject... I'm humbled by the fact that I'm reading book after book after book, and I still can't wrap my mind around even the parameters of this problem. And so this really meant something to me to hear Paul's words from Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's the context in which we take this on. I don't think we're going to reach a place where we go, oh, I think I finally get it. Because God is always going to grow larger than even our understanding in that way. Okay, that's our prayer. Here's where we were last week. Last week as we kicked off, we looked at just... Some of the traditional Christian explanations on suffering. What do people say when you ask them in 20 words or less, why does suffering happen? We looked at some of them. We didn't go into them, we just listed them. We also read off some of your explanations when we gave you three by five cards and asked you for your explanation. We found out that free will seems to be the number one response. Not that it's the only response, but it's the most common by far. That somewhere in the mix of it is free will, and that's what we're continuing on tonight. We're going to kind of finish that off a little bit. So I say we began to explore free will, and I hope that we'll get a little bit further in what exactly 
does free will answer about suffering? And then in the coming weeks, I want to start looking at the biblical views about suffering. Actually looking at what does the Bible really say? And you'll be surprised that free will is not much in their thinking. There are other explanations that the Bible gives, and there's different explanations. We need to kind of look at the different ways it's treated in Scripture. And maybe that'll lead us to understand maybe a more holistic idea of suffering and what we can do with it. That's where we're going. Along the way, I put this up a couple weeks ago, but I realized that I didn't do it last week. For some of you who want to join us in our book series, <laughs> if you want to put Amazon in business, you know, just all of us, let's go out and do this. These are just some of the books that we're reading for this series. God's Problem by Ehrman, Suffering, Test of Theological Method by Arthur McGill, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis, If God is Good by Randy Alcorn, How Long, O Lord, D.A. Carson. If you're going to only read one book, some of you read none. If you just want to read one out of this whole list, I suggest the Carson book. Why Does God Allow Suffering and Evil by John Ankerberg. And then a couple of commentaries on Ecclesiastes and Job, because those books really have a lot to say about suffering, and we are going to get to them. On the supplemental reading list, Gregory Boyd's God to Blame is a book that begins to look at the subject of God's knowledge and maybe his ideas about open theism. Maybe what we attribute to God knowing, maybe he doesn't know that much. On Sunday mornings, I already mentioned that Jeremy's leading us through Fear and Trembling by Soren Kierkegaard. And you know that there's going to be something else that comes up along the way. It always happens. Somebody will ask a question that will drive us into looking at something else. So if I could recommend one, it'll be the Carson book if you want to read something on this subject that I think is probably even better than anything I will articulate. But I want you to know that there's all sorts of reading going on from all perspectives, non-Christian all the way to philosophical, evangelical, traditional, reformed, everything. So we can kind of understand it. All right. Let's get into tonight. Last week, somebody, and I think it was Brittany, rightly stopped us and said, maybe we need to define a couple of our terms. So, I think that's a good place to start tonight. Somebody said, if you define free will, what would you define it as? For the purpose of our discussion, here's my definition. It's some ability to choose to obey the Lord or do evil. I highlight the word some because I'd like to contrast it with something for tonight's discussion. Sometimes we think that free will has to be entirely free. Like, think about that for a moment. If God controlled us in any way at all, anything, any control whatsoever, we say maybe that's not free will. And I want to be careful of that because we know that whatever our notion of free will is, it's just a concept that we have. It has to be bound at least by God's sovereignty. We have wrestled in the past between where is God's sovereignty, and where is our free will? And we're not going to do that. We're just going to say that you can't just believe that free will is 100% to the extent. Yes? Would you say that your upbringing, your genes, your surroundings would also limit your free will? Yes, I do believe that. If you didn't hear what he said, it's like your upbringing, your genes, and your surroundings. In fact, Philip and I this week spent some time talking about that concept about What if you're born into a certain family? Like, what if you're born into a certain country? Like, doesn't that affect some of your freedom? Sure, it could affect it. But what's interesting about free will is as soon as we start talking about it, a lot of us immediately look at it from a very individualistic perspective. And we forget that God has given humankind free will, and sometimes the things we do to one another influence other people. If you're born in a country that does not know the Lord, for example, a lot of people would say, well, why? That's not my fault. I didn't know. 
It may not be your individual fault where you were born. You had no control of it. I think most of us would agree. But we never get to the level where we say maybe the free will of an entire people group has an effect on your life, positive and negative. So yeah, I do believe that that can limit it to some degree, but maybe not the same way that I think God's sovereignty limits it or puts a boundary around it. I think it's an effect. Sometimes we think of like if any one thing or any one or any circumstance has any effect, we go, well, maybe it's not free will. And I just want to stay away from that kind of an extreme. Okay? Free will means that we have some ability to choose. And if we have some ability to choose, then we're responsible for our choice. That's my definition. Next definition, evil. Somebody said last week, could you define evil? Sure. For the purposes of our discussion, here it is. It's rebellion against God. Not doing what God commands or doing what God prohibits or forbids. That's going to be the definition that I'm going to use for evil. Now, you might want to take that on a little bit later on. You might ask, well, why does God do some of the things he might tell other people not to do? We'll talk about that when we get there. Getting a little bit more difficult stuff. But that's what my definition is. Not somehow like an idea that evil has to kind of exist so we know the difference between good and evil. That's not what I'm talking about. Because if God knows everything, I mean, are you saying that God couldn't know evil just because he doesn't get to try it or experience it? Or some idea that maybe just our innate sense of right or wrong determines what it is. For our purposes, the principle and the marker is God and his commands and what he says. He is the element of good. So you could, in some respects, even say that something that seems benign, like I want you to pray, and then we don't, that in, in this definition, that would be evil. We would call it sin, but we just somehow stay away from the word evil because it seems so harsh. It's evil. It's not what God commands. All right, so what's the definition of suffering? Well, that's what the series is really going to answer. I don't really have one for you right now because that depends. Now, I think some of us are like, well, I know it when I'm feeling it, or I can see it in others, right? But I think our definition should be a little bit broader than that eventually because at some point you go, so if I don't feel it, then it's not suffering? You know, an interesting point was brought up in a book that apparently one American life is worth about 25,000 African lives. And they went through this, and it was meant to be facetious and shocking. But the reason it was facetious and shocking is because one kid dies here, and it's on the news for like two or three days. 25,000 kids die a day, and we don't even hear about it. So it always depends on your relative point of view. Yeah, that kind of stopped me when I was reading that, thinking, first, wow, that's ridiculous to put in a book. And then I thought, maybe it's ridiculous not to even care. What's more ridiculous? So suffering can't just always be how we feel it. Because there's plenty of suffering going on that we don't feel or even care about. And maybe that's evil. So here's where we were last week. We divided evil into two camps. And this is C.S. Lewis's designation. I told you it's nothing scientific, but it's a helpful framework. According to him, four-fifths of suffering is caused by us and our free will harming people. So what we're going to do, we're going to focus solely on that So we're not throwing the other one away. We're just going to focus on this. And here's where we left off last week in specific questions. See if we move through this. The first one is, could God have created a world in which there was no evil? Most people last week said, yes, that could have happened. It didn't happen, but that could have happened. Let's go a little deeper. Could God have made a world inhabited by beings with the power to choose good or evil, in which no one ever made the wrong choice. Is that possible? 
I think that was our answer. We said, yes, he could have done that. And I put an asterisk next to it just to be safe. I don't know what it means. <laughs> just a way out. <laughs> it's a mark of humility. You know, like, yes, with an asterisk. Again, I put an asterisk next to a lot of these because, like, I mean, we're peering into God's mind and pretending like we could know. But here's why I think this is possible. Somebody actually last week, maybe it was Philip, said it depends on how long it lasted. Like if the world lasted a minute, it would be totally possible. Like we create the world and everybody says, all right, we're done. Let's go. Everybody go. That's possible. But I think we have to go a little bit beyond that and say, you know what? We cannot always assume in every scenario that everybody's going to be as evil as we are. It's possible that this could have happened. We also know that in our world, this didn't. So then we ask this question. Could God have made a world inhabited by beings with the ability to choose good or evil in which no one was given the ability to choose the wrong choice? So you can't be able to choose something if you don't have the ability to choose that because it logically makes sense. Right. And that's why my answer to this one is no. With an asterisk. <laughs> Sometimes, I said last week, we're trying to put these logical impossibilities in place and then saying, well, God can do the impossible. But we are creating mutually exclusive things. Now, I, I really do mean that there should be an asterisk there because I don't know, maybe God's even able to do that. But this isn't one of the problems we should be tackling because it's logically irreconcilable that you could say, you have the ability, but I'm restricting the ability. It's like, I either have it or I don't. Now, some of you might want to wrestle with that. That's fine. We'll talk about it afterwards if you still can come up with a way to say no. But I'll tell you that I'm not alone in this one. A number of different people, including C.S. Lewis, who looked at this question like 30, 40 years ago. How long has it been now? Came to kind of the same conclusion that we often put God into the test of logical impossibility and go, aha, there must not be a God. And that's probably not our role. There's enough stuff we can deal with where it's logically possible and we still have trouble with it. We don't have to go this far. All right. Could God have created a better world that allows us to exercise our free will and make wrong choices, but without evil and suffering resulting? Isn't that what we really want? I think that's the one that we would order if we could. <laughs> we can have free will. We can make the wrong choice, but Lord, save me from my choice and the consequence of it. But how would it even be a wrong choice if there were no consequences? The whole idea of a wrong choice would be completely negated by the fact that there's no negative implications of making the wrong choice. So in your mind, the fact that there's no consequence would take away whether something is right or wrong? Yeah, I just think it would be difficult to define it, to define what wrong was. Okay, and that's why I want to be clear that I defined wrong not by any external thing. When we defined evil, we said because it was what God forbids... Not doing what he commands or doing what he forbids. So in that case, could it be possible that you would do what God forbids, but he might save you from the consequence? It still could be evil, but he's just saying, it's okay. Sorry? Well, I think I immediately thought of drunk driving, where there's like, there's hundreds of cases where people will do it and like, they get home safely and like, Nothing happens, there's no consequence that results from it, but it's still a horrible decision, and it's still wrong whether or not they end up killing somebody. And it's wrong because... Because you could have lost. Because, 
in this case, I guess it's against the law. Okay, so there's a law, so you're violating that law. All right, yeah. Uh, on Soren's thing, it's, it's um, wrong because it's disregarding human life. You're saying that your, your choice to drive is more important than any, num any hundreds of people that you could kill on the way. And so you don't care about those people's lives. You don't even really care about your own life, but you care about your choice more. Okay, is there, is there a thing that God commands that's just kind of harmless, though? Like, if you didn't do it, like, nobody would... Like, you're not really hurting anybody if you violated that command of God. Can you think of something like that? Like what? I'm sorry. Drinking milk with me? Yeah, okay, so there you go. So let's say you're going to violate the kosher laws, right? Like, I mean, is anybody getting hurt? So, like, there's no possibility anybody get hurt, right? I mean, you're just going to... You're going to have a, you know, like, a cheeseburger. You know what I mean? You just, you're just going to go crazy and have a cheeseburger. If you're living in the Old Testament times and they had cheeseburgers, you would have a cheeseburger at In-N-Out. But isn't that still, according to our definition of evil, does that still violate God's law? I, I just think there's a, an idea, too. Like, here again, we haven't identified suffering. Um, but you could have wrong choices without suffering. Only because, at least in my experience, like, suffering doesn't just come from wrong choices. Like, suffering can come from choices that aren't evil. They just... It just happens. Like someone's driving that isn't drunk, and just like gets distracted by something, gets in an accident, someone dies. Like that's suffering. Like, but it wasn't a wrong choice. And so, like, there isn't necessarily a direct connection between wrong choices and suffering. Like, said someone could be eating a cheeseburger, and you know, like something bad happened from that. Maybe that was the wrong choice. <laughs> First, that's a really important point for one reason: our doctrines about sin and suffering say that suffering and death entered into the world because of the fall and because of sin. Not only are there verses that say that, but our whole, we've built a whole theology around that, that. That is the reason that we live in a fallen world. What does that mean? Is that because of sin, original or our own, but there is sin in the world and that has brought death and suffering into the creation. And that's the beginning parts of Genesis and other places echo that. So what I'm trying to ask now that we kind of get that point is, is it possible to allow this free choice, allow people to make wrong choices, but then have God stop the consequences? Because I don't think we could stop evil and suffering from existing because sin has been introduced. So by our understanding of the world, Evil and suffering must enter the world because sin has entered the world. So we're either going to have just no consequences. God just somehow blankets it and just makes natural laws that prevent any suffering from ever happening. And it has to be everything. Once death and suffering are in the world, like you'd need God acting in every possible way to prevent everything from happening all at once, at every moment, so that nobody could suffer the consequences. Could God have done that? Yeah, I mean, think about it. It's like you're going to shoot somebody and God jumps in the way every, like, you know, like uh, over and over. But one of you said on your card, like, think of the countless thoughts, words, deeds that God would have to stop to keep anybody from suffering. I guess God could do that. Yeah. I think it's technically maybe, like, possible. But I guess I'm thinking of, like, the actual like condition of leprosy is that you don't have any nerve endings at all. So in the physical sense, you can't feel any pain, and you're actually like a lot worse off because of it. Like if you put your hand on the stove, you can't feel it. You don't realize the pain. You don't realize it's burning. When it's like what would be a first degree burn becomes a third degree burn. 
and similar things like that. Like if you have things inside of you that are wrong, you won't go to the doctor because you don't realize you don't have the pain at all. And it seems like there's times in Romans where God hands people over to sin in order to bring them back to Him. So it, it seems like part of the reason He wouldn't create a world like this is because no one would realize that they were disobeying God, and then because of that, they would never come back to Him. Okay. Randy? I think it would be against like, His nature of being just and fair that He created a world like that. Because like, what, what would make it so wrong like, if He could decide to do that and nothing would happen? Like, it, there has to be some kind of consequence to it. But it's just in His nature. Like, if you're going to disobey Him, there's going to be something that happens. That's why I was suffering and uh, everything got introduced in the first place because they broke the from the tree. Okay. Jeremy? I would say, though, that the issue is these are two categorically different worlds. They're two different things. So we're still comparing this potential world that doesn't exist to the categories that we are accustomed to in the world that we do experience living. So they're not the same thing. So we might say that in this world, our idea of what God God's justice looks like is simply different. In other words, God is still just in this world, just in a way that we don't understand in this one. But to compare them, it's uh, apples and oranges. All right, last comment, Justin. We got to move on. Okay, I think it's completely possible. Like where everything you do, like I'll just give an example. Like if you want to chop someone's head off, but he could just make it so that. Your cells grow really fast and your body just goes right back in your lip. And then, so, I mean, that's an act of evil, but it's not really an act of evil because you end up not being able to kill anyone. But wouldn't, wouldn't you be hurt just that somebody tried to kill you? Yeah. <laughs> you would just change the world where the nerves work differently. And you would never be hurt. You'd never be betrayed. Yeah, You'd, yeah and then after a while, I think... The, that would be the better yeah. world. The reason I bring this up is not to play some intellectual somersault with you. I bring this up because a lot of people kind of want this world. A lot of people want the ability to disobey and do what we want to do, but have there be no consequence or have there be no evil. And I don't just mean the consequence to our sin, just no consequence. Like, if sin is what introduces evil and suffering into the world, we somehow want that free pass, even now. Like, I want to be able to still have the freedom to sin and then ask for forgiveness. But I want no suffering and evil in the world. And I don't want to live in a fallen world. I want everything to be good. I want peace, security, prosperity, love, happiness, and a little sin on the side. Kind of like a diet, you know, you know a little, little chocolate cake once in a while, you know? Being a little bad. But everything else is good. I think that we just have to at least acknowledge that emotionally, not intellectually, emotionally, that that kind of appeals to us in a way. C.S. Lewis said that this kind of world is the kind of world that's not ruled by a heavenly father, but by a heavenly grandfather, kind of a heavenly senile grandfather, (laughs) who at the end of time doesn't just say, come for all things are now ready or whatever he's going to say. He just says a good time was had by all at the end of time, that we just want to be able to have free reign. That's not what this world's about. Yes. Uh, in this theoretical world, does, does death still exist, or is everyone immortal in this world? Death is a huge part of suffering. Yeah, and that's why I think the answer, if I can move forward, is I think the answer is actually no. Because even though God is going to jump in every single thing, he would have to make us have no ability to suffer, and no ability to feel, and nothing. Because first, once there is sin, even if he's going to take away the consequence, evil has entered the world, suffering has entered the world, even if he numbs us from it, even if he prevents it, it's still there. Yeah. The question is, could God have done it, though? 
And that would be yes. Europe know is that it doesn't make sense to us to think about That's why there's an asterisk. <laughs> and actually, let me correct it really fast if I could before you go down that path. Could he have done it without evil and suffering resulting? Maybe it's just the word evil is what I'm talking about. No, once sin happens, evil happens. Could he have done it where nobody felt the consequences? Then I would change the answer to yes. Come on, you're dealing with a lawyer. There should be like, like check local listings, like all that stuff. Like later, like actual results may vary. Actual price may vary, all that stuff. It's down there somewhere. Like, hey, I figured finally I could move the discussion along without getting ground up just with the asterisk. I've discovered this amazing tool in the English language I never even knew existed. Like all theology should just say like, God is omnibenevolent, asterisk. You know, like, and that would be the greatest thing. Like totally awesome. All right, let's get to another one. If God knew, if God knew that humans would sin, resulting in evil suffering, now let's deal with our world, no more theoretical world. Why did he do it? Go ahead. There's no right answer to this question. My brain is confused. It's spinning around in probably a million circles thinking God didn't exist, God exists. Yeah, stay on God exists, otherwise we failed in this group totally. Like, I'll be fired, we'll be kicked off of campus, so just stay there for now. Let's just hang in for just a little bit longer. Go ahead. But, uh, the thing is, God cannot show, like, you know, justice and stuff if that would not exist. And I know what you're talking about. You're talking about, like, okay, so to show justice and to show mercy, he's got to be able to have a place to show it. And if there isn't anything there, he can't show it. Man, that's going to be hard for some people to hear. So, like, you did this whole thing so that you could show off justice and mercy? Why would he do this? Yeah. Well, when there's sin and evil, it makes us turn to him. And then also, we're so here to praise him, even when there's sin. Okay, so I'm going to rephrase it. So what I'm hearing is that God created a world where he knew we were going to fall and sin and death and suffering were going to enter the world so that we could turn back to him? Seems like maybe he should have never let us go in the first place. Because a lot of people may not turn back to him. In fact, I think without even doing a survey, most of us probably agree, the majority of people are not going to turn to him. So that puts us in a weird spot. It's kind of hard to accept, yeah. Uh, but at some point you can't play coulda, woulda, shoulda with God. Because, I don't know. I like to think that our intellect is really limited compared to the God who created the universe and knows everything. So, I mean, so for us to say that he could have not created us or should have done something different seems a little bit arrogant. Okay, let me respond to that. Why would we even ask this question? Is it because we want to get to the bottom and the answer? Or is it because this question is fairly asked of Christians all the time? Yeah, and I think that's what we're trying to get to is, by the way, that's why we cited Romans 11 at the beginning about the idea of the depths of him we are not going to be able to plumb or search out. But that does not stop plenty of people who have honest questions. Forget the people who have just really difficult questions and have an agenda or have a chip on their shoulder. There are plenty of people who have this honest question. Monique? I don't struggle with if God knew we were going to sin, why did he create us? Um, it's not that if he knew we were going to sin part. It's why did he create us? Because if he is completely intact and doesn't need anything to be whole, he doesn't need us to love him to be whole. I'm grateful he shared that. And now that I am alive and I know better, I'm, I'm grateful. I think it's a, he's like a big God to allow us to have life and choose him. But to me, it's like if you know you're going to create people and some of them are going to go to hell or suffer or not, 
choose you and you don't need us, then like, what is it just for fun? Like, hey, I'm gonna make some stuff. You know what I mean? Like, he's God. He can exist completely independent from anything. Does someone have an answer specifically to Monique's question? Yeah. Jeremy, I think earlier Jeremy had talked about part of this is trying to understand who God is. And one of the attributes I think of God, God is a creator. That's what he does. That's who he is. It's his nature. And for, for whatever reason. So part of it fits into our doxology. Like, we don't know, but God is a creator. And he has revealed that to us. And yes, Monique's completely right. God had complete uh, you know, harmony and goodness in all him. So he didn't need us. He didn't uh, you know, get bored and decide. No, he is a creator who chooses to give life. Period. That's that's his nature. That's who he is. But if I'm if I'm the guy struggling with this, and I hear what you just said, which is kind of parroting back the because he's a creator, God creates. And okay, so here's what I just heard from the difficult place that I am. This God, for his purposes, because he's a creator, created a bunch of beings that he's going to later cut off and send to eternal torment, so that a few of them might not do that. That's troublesome. That's where some people who have difficulty with that, walk away. Fill up and then we'll go to the back. It seems that why he would create us knowing that there would be evil and suffering is that something he values, it would seem that he says this is worth it for something. Whether that be free will or showing his character or like making people stronger or like, you know, like whatever the different answer people give, like I don't know what that actual answer is, but there has to be at least why he created us because he felt if like that, that evil and suffering was worth it for something else. Whether that be just his glory. Generally, I don't really know. Like, and I don't think there is any good answer for this person who's struggling with this. Like, not the one I've ever heard. Okay. So I think that God is very much a God of the future in the sense that he knows and controls. But I believe that God makes every choice in the present and that every choice he makes is perfect at the exact time that he makes it. And so when he created humans, it was created perfectly at that moment. Granted, he knew what was going to happen, but it didn't, afford, it didn't stop him making the perfect choice at that minute. And in the same way, like with our lives and the things that we do, um, God is very much living with us at the time that we make those choices. And at the time that we're doing things, he intervenes in the exact perfect way, yet it's all the other things, it's humans around that are the ones that, you know, ultimately um, confuse and make things worse. But God makes each and every decision perfect at the exact moment that he's living, even though he knows that the future is not going to be what it is. But it's perfect at the right time because he lives in the present, even though he's a God of the future. I'm going to pick apart a little bit of what you said for one reason, because I think it's going to be very important to us in, in our future. <laughs> The God that you just described is bound by time. He has a future and he has a present. And I think one of the things we have to grapple with at some point, I do believe that every decision he makes is perfect. What we have to grapple with is what about a God who creates time, who's not bound by it at all, who at every point is now. In other words, he's in the past, the present. He's at every single point, eternal, without beginning and without end, running infinitely both directions in our concept and understanding. He just always is. Now, the reason I picked on that a little bit is because last week we said some people, some Christians are beginning to say, no, that may not be true. Maybe God is somehow bound 
by time such that he doesn't know everything perfectly in the future or chooses not to know. If we have time, we're going to come back and consider that at the very end. That's why that Gregory Boyd book might be interesting because that's beginning to question the, the notion that God really is at every single point eternally. At every, there is this always at an now there. But I, that's why I wanted to highlight that because that is something that some people believe. We have to come back to it. Let's go back and take Philip's point up. Why? Yeah. It's kind of a big question. It's a little bit scary to take a stab at it. <laughs> but I'll try. Um, I feel like the way this question is posed kind of puts it maybe in the wrong order in a sense. I don't think God was like, I'm going to make people and unfortunately they're going to sin, that sucks, but I'm still going to make them. I feel like it was more like, I'm God. I'm so awesome and glorious and mighty and just you know, fantastic, that, like, the only right thing to do, like, the best thing to do would be to somehow, like, multiply my awesomeness, and the way you could do that would be to create a bunch of people who could experience me, and then it's kind of like a mirror, so instead of God just, like, shooting his awesomeness out, he's, like, created all these little mirrors, so, like, there's all this awesomeness flying around. (laughs) 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 Don't let him scare you, just, just go like this and just, don't even look. I'm just striking first. Yeah. No. <laughs> but, so let's say he just decides, like, there's nothing to do but to create people. And then at the same time, it kind of, it sounds like we sort of establish the fact that, like, if God were to create people, maybe the best way, and give them free will, and to know that some something would happen, like, it would just have to be like that, too. So, so I guess the way I look at it is, like, step one is, like, yes, there has to be, he has to create people, and... By that fact, like, there will be evil and suffering because that's the best way to set it up. If I hear what you're saying, you're saying that he's going to create people, he's going to give them free will, and that's a natural consequence of doing it. Okay? Anyone else? I'll give Jeremy the retort. I think the issue that still remains is that, not that I disagree with Megan, but we can envision a God that is creative, but just doesn't create this existence. Like, that's still not off the table. God just creates in some different way. And Megan's response, I think, still doesn't answer, or it doesn't address the existential trouble of people who die every day in famine and war and through many... Like, that doesn't say anything. And what I'm ultimately going to say is that it might not be reconcilable in the sense that we might not be able to answer the difference between how we experience and exist in the world and the question of why God did it or why God didn't if God knew. Okay, let me move on, but I'll make this editorial comment. Nothing that I find in Scripture says, I, the Lord your God, am so great and beyond your measure that you should not even try to understand me. We actually have a God who's transcendent, but he's also intensely and intimately personal. If God did not even want us to try to understand him, then I think we would find those kinds of commands or he wouldn't have gone to the length to even give us any clues about the type of God that he is. Look, the number one reason given by Christians as to why God gives us free will, and I don't mean number one reason in this group. I think this group wrestles with it at a deeper level. But the number one reason given is just so that we can love him. Think about that argument, how it goes. And I'm not saying that's not true, but it's just given so easily. It's like, oh, so we can love him. Again, the same thing. Oh, because he's a creator God. We always have like, we could have an answer, 
But the person who's going to receive it and just plug that answer in there. So let me get this straight. So that God could blank, whatever that is, we could love him or that we could create or he could have people or so he could be a creator, whatever it is, there's going to be this intense suffering and death to so many people. And most of them are going to be cut off from him forever. Like, I don't see how that's worth it. Maybe that's not for us to question. But that's where somebody who's outside looking in is going to go right away. Also, you should look at this. Thinking about it theologically, if we need free will to love him, and free will is not really free unless we can choose to sin, how are we going to love him in heaven? How are we going to love him on the new earth? And we always just kind of like throw these pieces together, but when you put them together, they don't fit. Like, well, we need free will so we can love him. And like, you need to have free will, and that means you have to have the choice of sin, otherwise it's not free will. Okay, great, so in heaven we don't love him? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that it says at the end of Revelation, that there will be no sin, no sorrow, no death. Revelation 21, that's what it says. So what's going to happen? We won't have free will, we can't love them? It's just something to think about how we say things seem so simple sometimes, or they go, yeah, I think that makes sense to me. But it really doesn't make sense sometimes all the way through. It leaves us with more questions than answers. All right. If he knew it was going to happen and he went ahead and did it, is he responsible for all the sins that we have? And again, I'm going to leave this as a puzzle piece because this is where we're going next week. And here's just some quick observations I want to give you before we go to next week. I think if you allow the possibility of sin, that does not make God culpable. That's my view. Allowing the possibility of it is not the same thing as doing it. I believe there's a break in the causal chain. I believe that God is the source of all good and that all good comes from him. All good. You might find fault with that. You might want to debate that at some point. Not tonight. (laughs) You might say, well, I think people can do good things on their own without God. I think God is the source of all good. What troubles us, though, is because God is holy, pure, blameless, he cannot author, cause, or be the source of evil. It's almost like, wait a minute, you're saying that God is the source of all good, but he can't even be involved because he creates the possibility of it? That's one of the things we have to really struggle with. But we also have to fairly face the fact that God allows it to happen. Because if you don't believe that God allows evil to take place, then you're saying that evil is stronger than God's sovereignty. I think God has the power to prevent, like just like he had the power not to create. He had the power to do a lot of things. He's not a helpless God. His sovereignty, I believe, is greater. Those are my beliefs. And next week, what we're going to do with some of these things as we move forward is start to ask these questions. What do the biblical writers think? What about natural disasters? Does God actually cause suffering or simply allow it? Is it evil when suffering results from God's action? What about the verses in Amos that talk about God sending calamity? That say that could a city even be destroyed but for the fact that God wanted it to happen? Where he talks about the types of things that he's going to do. What about those more troubling places where we see the backdrop in Job and what's going on and what God is allowing? What about those things? How do the biblical writers deal with those things? What about turning people and saying, I'm going to have this nation attack this nation because of what they've done. And then I'm going to turn on that nation to begin with. So we kind of take free will and we put it aside for a moment as we move forward next week and deal with, you know, we can all understand us doing bad things to one another and question why God would even have a world that that would happen. 
But we also have to start looking deeply at the text and starting to see the places where we might be even more troubled. I think we can accept that we do evil to one another. The question is, what happens when we see God acting and it seems that suffering results? That's where we're going to go. Remaining humble with an asterisk next to it. Let's close up in prayer. God, be tolerant with us as we plumb these depths. Lord, our intent is pure because we just want to know more about you. And as I prayed earlier and said earlier, and I I mean it honestly, Lord, this is not just so that we can build logical proofs to be able to measure the height and the width and the depth of our God, but it's, it's because we are going to suffer. And I pray now, Lord, for the suffering that has yet to even come and befall us in this life because... You, Lord Jesus, said that that would come, but you also said that you have overcome. But, Lord, we always want that in this place, in this world. And it seems that we're in the, when we're in the midst of that place, it causes the deepest questionings of our heart. So, Lord, be merciful to us. Grant us some of your grace, undeserved attention and favor in helping us to understand these things well in advance of the times when we're going to be tested. And Lord, help us to be at least thoughtful enough about these things to help those who are struggling. Lord, there are people in this world who will not know you and who will refuse to consider you because of this question. So give us patience to consider it, Lord, for the next few weeks for the sake of those others. We pray this in your name. Amen.